0: Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Arts Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. This year we will celebrate the 50th anniversary of Spencer W. Kimball's landmark talk, The Gospel Vision of the Arts, through discussions with prominent artists, collectors, and scholars about the artwork that has inspired them and shaped LDS culture. Dr. Richard Bushman is the Governor Morris Professor of History Emeritus at Columbia University, where he distinguished himself as a scholar of american history he is the author of the book joseph smith roughstone rolling among others and is one of three editors of the joseph smith papers project he is joined today by glenn nelson a poet librettist publisher writer and a ghostwriter of several new york times nonfiction bestsellers nelson is also the founder of the mormon artist group Together, Richard Bushman and Glenn Nelson are the founders and organizers of the Mormon Arts Center Festival, which will be held in New York this summer, and they are joining us via Skype from New York City. Well, as as is our tradition with this podcast, we start off talking about a work of art by an LDS fine artist, and you chose a work by the photographer Daniel Everett. It is Untitled 2014, and it is located in the Church History Museum collection. Uh, can you describe the work for us? Either one of you.
1: Okay, uh, Richard's nodding at me, so I get the nod on this one.
0: So it's,
1: um, it's a manipulated image to start out with. Uh, it's, it's the temple uh, in Provo when it was under construction and wrapped in construction materials. So it's covered uh, with the sort of a mylar fabric that's a blue and white stripes. Um, When I say it's manipulated though, it has a series of um, Photoshop um, manipulations to it. So it's kind of a built up image. And so it looks like a minimalist painting from a distance. And then when you get closer, you realize that it has setbacks where the eaves of the temple appear and other construction materials um, like a like a fence to keep things from falling onto the workers and so forth.
0: It's uh, it's fabulously disorienting in a way, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of those things that when you look at it, it's not a, it, it, it begs you to look and keep examining and examining to find out exactly what you're looking at at first.
1: We've been playing a game with people. Uh, we show this to them and ask them what they think it is. We don't tell them uh, it's subject matter. And a few people have figured it out just by looking at it. There are, some, huh. there are some clues to it. On the top left corner, there are these turrets of the temple that if you're familiar with mm-hmm. the building, they kind of become pronounced, even if they're covered this way. And so some people have had an aha moment when they figure it out.
0: Hmm. So when you say you've shown it pe- to people, in, uh, in what context? Well, we've been talking to
2: various groups that are interested in knowing more about the center and to illustrate what we're up to, uh, we use this as an example of the kind of art that uh, Mormon artists are doing uh, that's a departure from the usual devotional art of uh, scriptural scenes or Mormons at worship, uh, and instead uh, approaches church materials from an oblique angle. Hmm. So we toss this out to them and have them guess what's going on and then ask them, is this Mormon art or not? So what what are the kinds of answers you get? They, they fumble around a little bit, but I think uh, there's kind of
0: a, yes, probably. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think they're willing to go along with it. There's no question that it is um, different than the kind of thing that when you, sh- when, when, when Mormons are asked to identify Mormon artwork, um, I think that we would probably all agree that we're used to seeing um, uh, representational art of, uh, of, of, of gospel narratives, those, those kinds of scenes. And uh, to show them this kind of art and uh, to, to put it in the same category would be for some uh, a little bit of a mindset change, but but probably a welcome one, right? Is it, is it the kind of thing that you find people are, are curious and positive about when you have a conversation about it? you
1: know I would be curious to know what the docents at the Church History Museum have to say about this this work has been hanging for about two years mm-hmm. uh, across the street from Temple Square in the museum there and it's on the second floor with a bunch of other um, contemporary artworks hmm. and my guess is that um, people read the panel to describe it and uh, find themselves being more attracted to it than they thought they might be Interesting. yeah
0: yeah I I would imagine and I and it's probably part of the artist's aim I mean, he's playing into the idea that it's and and daniel everett's work in general um as, as far as i'm familiar with it is one of uh, uh, playing on people's curiosity he somewhat he photographs pieces he makes some things that are familiar somewhat abstracted he'll give a title like untitled that doesn't give a great deal more information but then the description leads to leads to more of a context and and that seems like a journey for the for the viewer it would be you look at this scene which is beautifully composed which has a lot of interesting things to look at but it was somewhat um abstracted and then you look at the title and that's not necessarily helpful and it makes you look even closer but then you look at the description and um I showed this to five or six people as we were preparing for this interview today. And for every one of them, they went through that journey. And when they saw, when they learned that it was the Provo City Center Temple, their feeling was one of absolute delight. Like they had been rewarded for, for all of the work they had done leading up to it. Yeah,
2: no, I, I agree with that because you can picture a photograph of the temple with the spires and a sunset behind it. And people would look at that and say, oh, isn't that beautiful or pretty? But what you have here is you're going at the temple from this strange angle, but you still end up saying, it's gorgeous. He's shown us beauty where we wouldn't expect to find beauty. So you're, it's, it's sort of a happy moment to see that beautiful things
0: can be discovered in new ways. Daniel Everett, um are, 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 do either of you know him personally or have had any experiences with him? Yeah, I do. Can you tell us a little bit about him?
1: Well, I mean, one of the reasons that I was interested in choosing this piece for our discussion today is I own a few of his works. And um, he's part of an important group in Mormon art um, history, really. He's part of the first generation of, of uh, students who have gone en masse to grad school uh, in art. So he and his brother, Peter, both teach at uh, Brigham Young University. Um, Daniel is an associate professor there. And they're the first ones to both participate themselves as students in grad school and then encourage an entire new generation of young Mormon artists to, to uh, aspire to that kind of career. So I think the consequence of that is these younger Mormon artists are much more engaged in what's going on in contemporary art with their peers um, nationally and internationally than they had been uh, before. So that's that's one of the reasons that I sort of am drawn to him, just sort of from a, a historical point of view. But his work is just all over the place. He does hmm. things with photography. He's involved with uh, video games and installation. He's hmm. mostly, in, to my mind, kind of a conceptual artist, really. Hmm. So they all have an elegance to them and a formal uh, presence to them. But what they really are inviting the viewer to do is puzzle it out. Try to figure out why someone is reacting to a work, you know, in a way that's that's uh, a part of their own device. Hmm. I
0: had um, I, I I familiarized my familiarized myself with his work a little bit in the in past contests that I'd been involved in either organizing or or judging and and uh, I. I learned that he had studied at BYU initially and then, as you say, he went on to graduate school at, uh, at the University of Chicago, but it was in between those two periods that he became very close with, uh, the, the very, um, celebrated photographer, Edward Bertinsky, um, who, who himself has kind of taken on the mantle of, I don't know if it'd be fair to say Ansel Adams. Um, but, um, Bertinsky says, um, Ansel Adams and, and, and several other artists uh, who were known for doing large landscapes. And I, I, I kind of uh, wonder about how that connection happened. Bertinsky isn't necessarily, uh, I don't know if he has any connection to the Mormon community. I, I, I haven't been able to find anything that, that would, but it seems like some of the artists who are graduating from BYU. Um, Jethro Gillespie would be another example of this, have gone on to form relationships with prominent artists, photographers, um, outside of, and I would put photographers and artists in the same group. Um, uh, and They've put themselves in league with artists who aren't associated with the LDS community. And I don't know how he made that connection, but um, it's, it's, it's notable, it's very notable. Well, you know, Daniel is exhibited all over the place. Right.
1: He's had, uh, you know, group shows and one-person shows throughout Europe and uh, in the U.S. as well, and is published by some very powerful players in the photography world. So he's not an unknown entity to other people. I just don't know
0: if he's that well-known to us yet. Well, and this this touches on a topic that I've seen you um, write about, Glenn. You recently wrote an article for... The, uh, the site by common consent, and um, you said that uh, many Mormons don't know who their own greatest artists are, um, and you compared it to uh, a, a student at an historically black college not knowing who Langston Hughes or Ella Fitzgerald were. Um, do you think that that's true of Daniel Everett in particular, and how does that show up in general?
1: Well, I can't speak to Daniel's, uh, you know, I haven't done a poll to see how well he's known, although the Church uh, History Museum owns multiple works by him. And, um, but, but I would say, generally speaking, you could go to any church house in the world and ask anybody sitting next to you who their list of artists would be, and I don't think there would be a lot of overlap. I think we all know people, but the question is, we're not really communicating between ourselves who it is that we know and admire.
0: Hmm. So, so who are some of the the Langston Hughes of and the uh, the Ella Fitzgeralds and uh, the, the the unknown artists that you think that if if we should that we should know as a community even better?
1: Well, I think I won't uh, tell you what I think um, on that. There, there are people that. Probably should form a baseline of if we want to call it Mormon arts literacy, mm-hmm. and I think those would include people who are well known and well beloved. But um, in addition to those, there are people that others outside of the church know in the arts. For example, if you were to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or the Museum of Modern Art and ask them who are the Mormon work, who are the Mormon artists in your collections, they would list first of all the early Mormon photographers like uh cr savage and others mm-hmm. so for them really photography is kind of ground zero for art scholarship but uh with all of us i think we have relationships with individuals but have not been as effective in sharing them with others
0: well this gets a little bit to the uh the, 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 the well not just a little bit it goes directly to the mormon arts center festival that you will be hosting this summer in New York it runs from June 29th to July 1st and um, w- let's get sp- your what is what is the website where people can go to find out more information about this first of all it's uh, simply org. okay uh, that's
2: uh, will give you all the information about the events that are being uh, uh, being sponsored and uh, uh, some of the events require tickets, so you can buy tickets, and something about the purposes of, of the Art Center. So it's really a way to sort of get the whole picture in, in one package.
0: Terrific. Um, lo- let's, let's talk about... Well, tell, tell us about the Art Festival, either one of you.
2: Well, well we think of the Arts Festival as um, sort of the kickoff event for what we hope will be a permanent Art Center that will last and continue to sponsor events uh, f- uh, into the future, but the aim is uh, to bring together Mormon artists, Mormon scholars, Mormon patrons, and people who are influential in the Mormon community to talk. Okay. We think that we uh, one of our main aims is to foster conversation. Okay. so that art is something that we can work into our ways of thinking. So we have a symposium mm-hmm. that's going to go all day, uh, bringing together art historians and philosophers and hist- historians generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and Then we want to display art, so we have this t- terrific exhibit that Laura Hurtado is uh, sponsoring, and all the artists, we're paying for all the artists who are there to come hoping they will meet patrons and uh, uh, get questions asked them. Uh, And then we go on with uh, singing and a concert. So it's a variety of things representing sort of the range of art, and especially art as it's being produced now, and uh,
0: hoping that this will be a starting point for lots of talk. So if I were to go to the festival, it sounds like there are various aspects of it. There's one is the symposium, which is somewhat scholarly. Is that, would that be accurate? Yes, we
2: tried to get some very good scholars there, and we're giving them President Kimball's uh, famous uh, declaration 50 years ago and asking them to meditate on
0: that and uh, ask where we've gone. So who are some of the figures that we'll be speaking and presenting in the symposium at, uh, at section of the festival? Well, Glenn
2: Nelson leads the list. Great, has to. He knows more about Mormon art than than anyone. But um, we also have uh, Michael Hicks, uh, Eric Samuelson, uh, John Peters, uh, John Durham Peters, uh, uh, recently um, moved to Yale. Um, we have Janna Reese and Christine Haglund. So it's a range of people who've done various things in various parts mm-hmm. of uh, Mormon history and philosophy. Adam Miller will be there. Uh, so it's it's quite a range.
0: So this, um, as you mentioned, is the year that is the 50th anniversary of the Gospel Vision of the Arts, um, originally given in 1967 by Spencer W. Kimball. Is, is that the theme of the symposium? Is people's discussion of the 50th anniversary?
2: Uh, yes, we propose that as sort of the the thematic starting point. Okay. But of course, when you get together uh, 11 scholars uh, with their own points of view, they're <laughs> going to go all over the lot. So it, yeah. it's not narrowly focused on measuring exactly how far we've come or what we have to do. That's part of but, the delight
0: uh, of these events, isn't it, is that... Uh, you give people a theme and then they, they go with it in directions you may have not been able to anticipate right
2: exactly right so um, one one of the speakers is Campbell Gray who's the curator of the University of uh, Queensland uh, museum mm-hmm. and uh, his the title of his talk is is it possible is it possible so you can is it possible Meaning? so you can s- and well, yes, why, what does it mean? Know, we, well, we'll find out, I guess, <laughs> those of us who go to the to the festival, I guess we'll find out. Let me
0: let me ask about um, what your goals are. With, well, before I ask about goals, who are the kinds of people that you hope, in addition to those presenting or the artists whose work is being shown, who do you hope will come to this festival?
1: Well, um, you know, attendance is one metric, but we're also concerned generally with participation. So I don't want to underestimate the value of having all of these people in the room. I think it's going to be uh, pretty exciting, that, that part of it. So um, there are 23 uh, visual artists who are participating in the, the exhibition, and then 23 writers wrote works, uh, essays and poems and uh, other things based on those works for a catalog. So that takes us almost up to 50. Then we have symposium speakers and other presenters. We have um, musicians and curators of concerts. Uh, Craig Jessup uh, from um, Utah State is leading a giant sing-in of, of contemporary choral work. So um, the kind of people that we imagine will attend are just sort of the kind of people we imagine to be interesting uh, and uh, interested in Mormon arts. But there, the, the way that people can participate extends beyond those who are just in attendance so we're doing um, everything will be uh, taped and put on YouTube uh, and other social media platforms there will be some live um, Facebook live programming with some sort of curated content and um, live responses as we go along so even someone who isn't going to be in New York at the end of June will still be able to really get a piece of this. And, and I also think, you know, can really feel included and be able to f- give us feedback, uh, you know, during and after the, the festival.
0: I, I'm fascinated with this idea. And we've had conversations before about this, Glenn, about the idea of collaborations between people working in different media. So artists and writers, musicians, composers, all all being thrown together in the same place and things that that come of that are uh, it's it's almost as if it's a return to what we'd call 19th or early 20th century cafe society where at the the, the cafe grec in, uh, in in Italy or the the four cats in barcelona where you've got groups of artists and writers who are coming together and sparks are flying um, is, is that one of the things that your, your goal is to, to, to do? And if so, how do you hope that these, that, that, that they'll interact? Or how, how are you creating an environment where they will? I had, a, I had an email just last
1: night from someone who I haven't met before. He's a poet and also a historian who works for the church history department. And he was wondering if he could do a, some sort of satellite event during the festival, maybe during a lunch hour, where people come and just read uh, recent works. So I said, go for it, and so there's a little park in front of uh, Riverside, park, Riverside Church, and I think that's where it will happen. So that's the kind of thing that I imagine can happen organically. But you know, to your comment, I, uh, I'm, I'm deeply influenced by that turn of the century excitement, particularly in Paris, when you had uh, Diaghilev and uh, the painters and musicians and dancers All coming together and forming these new, new works. The most frequent comment I hear from Mormon artists around the country and abroad as well is how isolated they feel. And uh, I'm also getting these from people who live uh, in Utah. They just don't, they're working at a high level, but they just don't really feel like other people around them um, are aware of their work. And likewise, they're not aware of other people. So as I am sometimes able to, introduce let's say a composer to a painter or to a writer, I find that they really want to form attachments and start working on projects together. And for me, that's a pretty exciting thing. So this then
0: for me um, begs a question, um, if, if your goal is connectivity with all of these artists in disparate locations, um, if that's part of your goal, then um, why? Why New York? And it's not a it's not a question that thinks New York is, is skeptical of New York. It maybe New York is the greatest place to do this. But uh, walk us through why why uh, why you chose to hold the festival in New York. Well, I think a lot of good
2: things could happen in lots of places. Salt Lake included, Provo, uh, Phoenix, uh, so on. And actually, our hope eventually is to be able to sponsor. Uh, events around the country, around the world, maybe in Buenos Aires or or London. But we all know the magnetic uh, pole of New York City. If you uh, tell a violinist that uh, we would like you to perform in Carnegie Hall, it has a kind of a magnetic appeal that uh, a performance uh, at, at BYU wouldn't quite have. And of course there's a reason for that, because you're on a world stage. And what we're hoping is that Mormon artists more and more will, will blend with world art trends and think of themselves as, as contributing to a larger world and not just doing for Mormons. I think many uh, Mormon artists already do that, but we want to enhance uh, that feeling by putting things here. We don't kid ourselves that critics from the New York Times are going to turn up to this event and write a column on it But in time, they will. If we do better and better work, we'll be like the Jewish Museum, whose shows are uh, of the highest quality and and rank with the best things that are being done uh, anywhere. So uh, this is a first start, I think, in opening a conversation, not only among Mormon artists, but with artists of all kinds,
0: uh, from all cultures is the Jewish Museum in New York uh, a kind of model that you're looking at as part of, of of what you hope to create in the long term
2: actually it is uh, we have formed uh, an advisory board and we're meeting with the former chairman of the board at the Jewish Museum f- uh, for him to tell the story of how the Jewish Museum got started and how it's uh, you know the problems is met uh, and um, the things that it's been able to accomplish. So we see that, and the Harlem Museums, and the Hispanic Museums, all the places where there's a culture that's producing art are sort of models of the kind of uh, art that, uh, of the sort of thing we'd like to do for Mormon culture.
0: I imagine that if you're creating a a Spanish, a... uh a, a Jewish museum and you're, you're, you're in the beginning stages that the people who are principally your audience are those who are in your community. So the Jewish museum's greatest early donors um, and, and participants and audience were all probably Jewish. And then eventually as it became known as a world-class venue, um, and i've I've been to performances at the Jewish Museum um, and, and center in, in, in New York. Um, I it, it's it reached out more audiences than just the Jewish audience that was in New York were interested in it. In your thinking of the long term of the Mormon arts uh, Center in New York that you're thinking of, is, is that, the trajectory you see? Are you looking just at a Mormon audience in the beginning? Are you hoping to gather more than just a Mormon audience?
1: Well, I, I, uh, I think your trajectory of how you describe who goes to a museum like Museo del Barrio or um, the Jewish Museum is accurate. But I've noticed an additional thing that maybe um, suggests what might happen with the Mormon Art Center. I was recently uh, discussing with the, the Museo del Barrio's uh, um, chief curator um, what, what he, how he put shows together. And what I noticed when I was in the space is, although it was true that a lot of people outside of Hispanic culture were in the place, it still had a powerful force as an identity maker. So as, as school children went in and saw exhibits, they were able to say, This artwork in a New York museum of high quality speaks directly to me, and it comes from my culture. And therefore, I'm connected to greatness. And so I understand uh, in Mormon culture how we want to position ourselves in the eyes of others, but I am quite aware myself how my kids have reacted growing up with Mormon artworks in their home and how they've become... um, more strongly connected to uh, to belief, even by the way that these artworks have shifted their identity and made them more powerful.
0: So, it, your example of the Museo del Barrio is uh, is is interesting because it's it's within a neighborhood that identifies itself with the community, and school children are going there and they're seeing artists who came from their community, and it's it it. it is part of the history of that particular community if you had a mormon arts center set up um and and part of that influence you're seeking is like the one on your children um who are uh, i don't i don't know how many mormons there are in new york or i guess are you also counting those who are traveling from is is this a is something you would want stakes to send people to? Is it something that would be a tour tourism for Mormons? Part of the the, the uh, I mean, just like anyone else, Mormons travel to New York in huge numbers on a regular basis. Are you planning on this gathering both the locals and the internationals? Are you going to have a huge scope of 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 people you want to have visit?
1: Well, I'm witness. I'm witnessing something different than what you just described. The, this Museo del Barrio is an interesting um, um, example because, because although it, is, it, is, it resides in Spanish Harlem, um, they're very focused on different Hispanic communities all over the world. Okay. The, muse- the museum itself is a sort of a gathering place for all of them, but it's not really a local museum okay. in, in, in one way. So one of the things that Richard has been telling me from the very beginning of this endeavor Is the importance of scholarship itself, and um, how we need to how each of the things that we do has to have a scholarship component. So it it elevates it. So it's not just putting on a show, putting on a festival, making an exhibition happen, but gathering people together who can write about it, advocate for it, um, make a case for it, and disseminate it to to people more widely. So I guess when when we say that we're going to do a festival and we're Inviting people to uh, participate, one of the things that you have to remember is there are four publications that are kind of come out of this festival, just these three days, and those will have a life. And we imagine that one of the ways that we'll communicate with other people is through through this kind of scholarship.
0: That's fascinating. So you're going to so uh, an integral part of this is not just the physical experience of being at the festival, or eventually at the 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 center that's created. But you will, in a way, be a, a, a publication house that will be disseminating information and scholarship about what you're doing. So it goes well beyond the physical borders of the actual events and space.
2: Well, that's very much the, the, the case. Okay. What we would like is to produce materials that eventually could be used to instruct and inform um, widely. The strength of Mormon artistic traditions uh, right now, if you, I don't know that any of the Mormon studies chairs, uh, programs around the country are offering courses on Mormon art, and one of the reasons it's difficult is that there isn't quite enough literature to, we haven't really digested what is our great artistic tradition and where do we stand. Uh, I mean, we're on our way, but we've got a long ways to go, and we hope we can contribute to the materials that will will allow us to teach maybe even our churches something about the strength of our artistic tradition.
0: So, something that Glenn wrote about uh, Richard in his article by common consent is he quoted you in saying that Mormon art is and the, the the Mormon art history or Mormon art. I hope you can correct me if I'm wrong is where mormon history was 50 years ago and and uh, there's a there's a long way to go could you say more about that is that first of all did i get that right
2: yeah you got it right that's the way we're saying it uh but it can be misleading mormon history 50 years ago you know right after world war ii uh was really at a, a very a primitive state in that we had, had only see six phds in history up to the, up to World War Two, uh, and the work we did, for the most part, uh, the history that was written for Mormons about their own history was not. It had no acceptance in the academic world. It was thought to be biased. It was thought to be immature and unsophisticated. Hmm. But then, after World War Two, people started flowing into graduate schools. I was one of them. Leonard Arrington was another. Um, many others. Until now there are hundreds of Mormon PhDs and they're producing work of the highest order that is accepted by scholars as as good as anything that's done on Mormon history. So in a way Mormons have reclaimed their own history. We now possess it, we own it. Uh, And Mormon artists are much more sophisticated now. They're working at a very high level. But they don't quite have the recognition that they deserve in the larger art world. So we sort of want to give them an identity and give them a chance to know one another hmm. uh, so that Mormon art, Mormons will be known for their art, not just for their football team or their families or what have you, but just the, the, the full richness
0: of our culture will be um, accessible. So it sounds like there are two parts to this, at least. I mean, I'm, I'm probably being reductive, but um, it's it's not just talking about the artists who are producing today and trumpeting and celebrating their work you're also talking about reaching back in time and creating filling out um scholarship on the the tradition of of lds art is that accurate it's absolutely accurate uh i mean as glenn says he he wants
2: kids to grow up uh, realizing that we just didn't have pioneers who pulled hand cards across the plains but we had artists and thinkers and people of real sensibilities who were thinking about and recording this in, the, yeah. in their art uh, so that we have another a fuller
0: we want to fill out our tradition show the many dimensions of it so there i i could think off the top of my head uh maybe i it's interesting you mentioned maybe a a half dozen people uh, around World War II who had PhDs in art history. And I could probably think of about a dozen art historians who are LDS working at the moment. Um, and some of them have written quite important books about the history of, of LDS art. Linda Gibbs, who is a former curator of the Church uh, Museum of History and Art, um, Vern Swanson, who's written a number of publications. Do you plan on maybe not them in particular? Those are just those that come to my mind. But do you plan on reaching out to that community, or is it, and and, uh, and it, well, and, and uh, inviting them to be a part of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, actually, Linda has already been uh, chatting with us. I mean, there are it, it's sort of a different uh, way of thinking about it, but there are two groups that are interesting and worth engaging. One of them are the scholar people. So as you mentioned, there are a number of people who are, um, let's say, you know, PhDs in musicology or art history. But th- there's another side of it, which are the almost 100 PhDs in music composition, right? So uh, in visual art, it's, it's not too common that you have a practicing painter who, becomes a, who, who is a PhD. That, that's sort of a different kind of metric for them. But really, I think what we need to do is engage both of these communities. And right now, there's sort of, you know, if you were to put all of the books on Mormon visual art, you know, on a bookshelf, you wouldn't need a very big bookshelf. There are not really all that many, you know, relative to uh, other fields. So we still have a long way to go. And I think one of the most exciting parts about this enterprise is if you consider 1830 to the present globally, all of the different disciplines in the arts, right? Painting and poetry and sculpture and choreography and design and architecture, etc. cetera. Um, we could have um, hundreds and hundreds of volumes and uh, in, in lots of different ways. So, so that's one of the things that we're really eager to begin and we're taking a systematic viewpoint, a very ambitious one. And so the, the, although the festival is the kickoff point for this, really our focus is going to be how we put some of these
0: ideas these big picture ideas
1: into practice
0: so uh, one of the things that i've i've done with my line of questioning here is i focused almost exclusively on the visual arts but i i should backtrack a little bit and and just confirm that you are speaking like you just said much more broadly this festival and the arts center is not just visual arts. It's also it's music. It's um, well, you you could tell you could say more about that. What is your goal overall? How what how are you defining the kind of participation and participants you're getting? Right. So the only distinction we're
1: making really is we're we're drawing a line between creative artists and performing artists. So there's so much work to be done with creative artists. Um, painters and sculptors, composers in all fields, right, from rock music to the people who are creating music for video games, to commercial people, to fine art composers, to folk music, etc. So, uh, and then, you know, basically all the disciplines. There's so much work to be done in each of these areas that we feel like it's more than a lifetime's worth. So we're going to leave the work of describing What a Mormon actor is, or what a Mormon singer is, to other people, and focus on the creative arts. But as far as um, who is involved with that, uh, one definition that probably should be addressed is what is Mormon art itself. Who who qualifies for this? And again, we're taking a very broad view that if if you self-identify as Mormon, then you're part of the conversation. Our feeling is that we.
0: A phrase that both of you I, I have been using throughout the, the discussion has been there's so much work to be done. There's so much to be done, um, which goes to a – anxiety may be the wrong word. I'm thinking of it more in a, in a scholarly term of the idea of there's something that, that needs to be done. There's a work that you feel um, hasn't been done. You feel an urgency about it. What could you – Talk more about what is it that you feel like is not being done and that you're excited to do that you feel like is, is central to this idea. What does that work?
2: Well, let me give you an example. Uh, we've been planning our program for 2018, and uh, at the top of the list is the creation of an archive of uh, Mormon music. Hmm. And we're we're doing that because Glenn has been working on this for uh, a number of years, just kind of on his own, uh, collecting information on uh, some 1,600 Latter-day Saint composers, and collecting information, the basic information, biographical, where they were born, so forth, uh, information on their works, where they were premiered, um, when they were performed, so that now it is possible, uh, using this archive that he already has in place, if he wants to know what Mormons have written symphonies or which Mormons have written piano concertos or uh, string quartets, he can bring that information up. At least we're getting very close to that. So our, our aim is to sort of work out a model of where we're as comprehensive as possible in collecting this information. The advantage of this model nowadays, first of all, is it can be done online so it's immediately accessible. And in a way, it's self-generating. That is, once it is known that there is an archive of Mormon uh, compositions, everyone who sort of hears about it will want to know, am I part of that archive? Right, they'll want to know, is my name on the list? (laughs) Is my name on the list? And if it isn't on the list, they can get in touch with us and provide us the information. So we think it will just sort of fill itself out simply because people want themselves or their grandfather or someone they know who composes a part of that, uh, that collection.
1: And if I could chime in, in practice, how this works is um, the Deseret String Quartet is coming to the festival and they wanted to uh, perform a program of exclusively by Mormon composers, hmm. which is something they've never done before. So I was able in about three minutes to uh, just you know, type into this database of mine, string quartets, and up came 144 entries, and so I sent that off to them, and they said we had no idea that there was so much work. So that's one example of how uh, this kind of scholarship can be put into practice really quickly. The second one is, let's say, let's say um, going back to identity a little bit. So if you're a Spanish-speaking member of the church, and um, one-fifth of the entire church population is, it might become apparent to you after a little while that there are no um, there are no LDS hymns written by Spanish composers, and haven't ever been. And so what would happen if members who are Spanish-speaking became aware of the half-dozen or so living Spanish composers of, of note? Um, I think that would make them feel better, wouldn't it? I mean, it would make them feel more part of the conversation. So I think when we say... what our our aims are regarding broadening the canon, Mm. I think eventually it trickles down to that every member is important. And if they have some sort of touchstone in the arts to make that connection,
0: it can only be stronger for them. You know what, as you're talking, one of the things that occurs to me is that for the longest time, the church has had the policy in its sponsorship of artists and of patronizing artworks, that uh, artists remain somewhat anonymous from their works. And there are good reasons for that that I completely understand. We wouldn't necessarily want to uh, have someone get a work bought by the church and then use that to promote themselves. And I know artists are very sensitive to that. But the the consequence for that, um, and, and I think we all know artists who have who've had that experience where they've licensed their work to the church and they're no longer able to necessarily promote that. The uh, consequence is that, the, the that uh, there's an anonymizing of artists that's gone on for several decades within the church. And what I hear that you're doing and what's exciting about it is that you are giving names to these artists. You're making people aware of them, and it doesn't compromise the church's overall goal, It which is... I imagine to use the art strictly for the devotional purpose, right? Um, and here you're able to to create a place that allows people to uh, to find out more about where they, who's who's similar to them, who's creating around them, what they're creating, where to see it. And I don't know if that's necessarily the church's job. Um, and it, other people need to fill that in. That's just me thinking out loud, I guess. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, and that's exciting to me.
1: Well, we're not really reformers. I mean, uh, that's not really our purpose, is to sort of imagine how the church could do things differently than it is. Oh, and I'm, I'm not,
0: and I'm not uh, suggesting that they, that they right. should necessarily. No, 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 no. Right.
1: But we do feel like this kind of information could be quite a, a powerful resource um, to others, including the church in its operations. So
0: that's sort of been our focus. Yeah. Well, um, we're, we're close to the end of our time together. We've been asking all of our guests a, uh, a final question. And um, I guess I'll ask it to both of you, and um, either one of you can respond or both of you can. And, and that's that 50 years ago, as we mentioned, Spencer W. Kimball said that we have the potential for a Mormon Michelangelo, um, which he explained as being Someone who through the arts can express our highest values as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, two questions about that. First, do you think we've reached that potential? Do, are we, do we have people expressing our highest values in art at a high level right now? I think the people who um,
2: are doing the art uh, have to have to, in effect, bear testimony but in a very authentic way. They don't use standard um, language. They may not think of it as a testimony, but artists have to really consult their inner voices in order to produce good art. It's it's not a mechanical process. So there's this Angolan painter uh, that we've discovered uh, in Africa who paints these incredibly compelling, huge abstractions, and he says, this is God. So I think that um, that we have to recognize that these people are, in
0: a way, speaking for us. Let me ask you, Glenn, uh, this question. It seems like part of what is fascinating to me, uh, and when we've asked other people this question of, have we, have we achieved Spencer W. Kimball's vision and reached that potential— um. often people's immediate answer is no. It seems like the question you're answering with the Mormon Arts Festival is different. The question you're answering isn't, how do we get better art? It's not that question. It's how do we let people know about the great things that are happening? Is that accurate?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was, I was a grad student uh, at NYU and the whole modern, the whole anxiety of, Modernism was just everywhere in every conversation. You know, was it new enough? Was it, was it a breakthrough work? If not, oh no. And so we judged ourselves quite a bit on the past. And what I found over time was, and you know, this was also in the era of Derrida um, and deconstruction. And what I found was all of that anxiety was forcing people to not create anything. And I think that there are some negative uh, uh, consequences of, of comments Looking for you know the next masterpiece all the time. Hmm. What I'm finding as I talk with these artists is they want to communicate. That's what they want to do. They want to do their best work. That's really what they want to do. So of the 23 uh, visual artists who are bringing work here, you know I had never even heard of about a third of them um, before a couple of months ago. And you know the more that I really look and look at their works, what I'm finding is that. Each one has such an individual voice, and I think that that's something that, that uh, is easy to lose when you have an institution like a church commissioning works. It's, in a way, it's almost like you don't want an individual voice. You want a branded, um, generalized voice. And so this uh, is an exciting moment in time, I think, for all of us in the church to realize that what, what Mormon means is quite broad. You know, you have people who are fully participating, like we are, and then other people who haven't been inside a church house uh, for years and years who still consider themselves fully Mormon. And then you have other people whose work draws from their Mormon history, but who don't um, consider that part of their belief system at all anymore. So there's there's a very large range of what even the word Mormon means as an adjective for Mormon art. And I don't think it's our... Point. I mean, it's our place to really um, close ranks on a firm definition. I think now is the time to spread our arms a little wide and uh, see what's going on, and then later kind of process that, process that, and see where we've been.
0: Great. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for joining us today, and I'm also uh, very excited about the, the 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 festival, and I will be there. Myself, I plan on being in, uh, there for that weekend. Um, thank you so much for coming. Enjoyed it very much, Mike, and thanks for having us. Thank you. I'd like to thank Richard Bushman and Glenn Nelson for joining us for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture presented by the Zion Arts Society. You can see the work we discussed by Daniel Everett on our website, ZionArtSociety.org, under the podcast tab, along with information about the Mormon Arts Center Festival and uh, links to register and buy tickets for more interviews with artists collectors and scholars subscribe to mormon visual culture on itunes i'm micah christensen and thank you for listening